directed specifically for K. Russo Baptist Church. And the title of my message today specifically is, What is Our Purpose? What is Our Purpose? A Vision for K. Russo Baptist Church. And so I want to try to share those things from my heart today. And I want to read to you. And I'm going to ask if you're able to, would you stand with me one last time? If you can't, that's fine. But I want to read Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. So when they, the disciples, had come together, they asked him, Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or season that the Father is fixed by His own authority. Verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Father, we again thank You for this day. We thank You for Your sweet Holy Spirit that we've already felt in this place. We pray, Lord, that You would speak to us now through the Spirit by Your Word and that You would increase and I would decrease and we'll give You the praise today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I want to start with a question and I often do this, but I really want you to take this question to heart. Don't just let it go in one ear and out the other. It's a question that I hope you will ask yourself beyond Sunday morning. And the question is this. When God saved you, why did He leave you here? When God saved you, The moment that you became a believer, your eternity was set, your sins were forgiven, heaven was your home, why didn't the Lord just take you then? A lot of you say, well, I wish you would have. It would have spared me a lot of grief, a lot of agony, a lot of suffering. I'm tired, I'm ready to go home. I wish He would have took me. I can understand those feelings and those sentiments. But the Lord left you here. Why? Why are you here? What is your purpose? Let me ask a follow-up question to that. What is it that we can do on earth that we can't do in heaven. What is it that we can do on earth that we can't do in heaven? We just praise the Lord here in His church, and we're going to praise the Lord when we get to be with Him in glory, with a great multitude that no one can number of every tribe, nation, and tongue. What a day that will be. What can we do on earth that we can't do in heaven? We fellowship here, and we'll fellowship in heaven. It's not that. What is it? What is it? Why are we here? Think about those things for a minute. And then look at the question that the disciples asked the Lord in verse 6. When they had come together, they asked Him, Lord, will you win? What did He say? Lord, will you what? At this time, restore the kingdom to Israel. Lord, you said that you were going to go to the cross and that you were going to live three days later and we didn't understand all that talk at the time, but now that we look back, we understand that those events have transpired. Everything's done, Lord. What are we waiting for? Why are basically, why are we still here, Lord? Let's go with this thing. Let's, let's get the Romans out. Let's get us in and let's establish this kingdom and live like the word of God says that we will live as an established kingdom under the throne of David. That's what they were hoping for, and they were ready to go. But why didn't Jesus do it then? Why are we still here? Why does the church, the local church, why does K. Russo exist? What is our purpose? I want to look at some things this morning, and I pray the Spirit will help me to, to communicate these things from His heart through my heart to your heart today. 
the biblical reason that God builds local churches. The biblical reason that God does that. Now listen, diversity is wonderful. It's beautiful. I wish and pray and not every church is able to accomplish this thing. Brother Ben and I had a conversation a while back, I think through Messenger, about this very thing. It's a beautiful thing when you can see different races and ethnicities come together in a local church. I understand that people are tribal and most of the time different ethnicities kind of gravitate towards their own kind, if you will. I get that. But it is a beautiful thing, and I believe it's a heavenly thing when the church on earth is able to incorporate all different types of people into their local church. Again, I think we can be intentional about trying to harvest or trying to cultivate that kind of thing, but ultimately the Lord is the one that builds His church. And He is the one that sends and calls people to local bodies. But nonetheless, we are all diverse. And as diverse people, everyone in this room has different likes and dislikes, preferences, wants, needs, and all those things are good. That's what makes us individuals. What becomes unhealthy is when everyone in the church expects the church to do everything to meet those needs and those preferences and those wants of each individual person. Because guess what happens then? Nothing happens. Because you're constantly going in circles trying to make everyone happy. Our goal, church, is to find out what God wants from us, unite together under that purpose, and move forward. Now, will there be different opportunities to do that? Are there, is there more than one way to reach the lost? Absolutely. Is there more than one way to make disciples? Absolutely. But those things can all fall under the umbrella of the commission that the Lord Jesus has given His church. And if we can get ourselves out of the way for a moment and say there's certain styles of music I like, certain Bible translations that I use, certain things that draw me uh, into a certain specific church, but no church is going to have everything that I want because it's not about me. If it was about you, then we would be worshiping you today, and we're not. We're here to worship Jesus. And so, again, I want to say that with love, but I want to say that we want to do it biblically. We want to find out what God expects from His church biblically because jesus did say i i jesus will build my church this is not my church and it is not your church it is his church as every local church should be every local church should be his and we should seek to please him and him alone and so one of the things that i feel like a pastor needs to do is to understand the place that God has placed us. Okay? Because again, it's very easy for all of us as believers to have certain passions and certain things that we like to do. And I in no way, shape, or form are trying to, to quench that desire. But you've got to understand, we can't do every ministry at the church. And ministry goes on beyond the walls of this church. And ministry goes on beyond just corporate work. God saved you as individuals. As individuals, you make up the church. As individuals, you come together and we come together to worship and serve and disciple and fellowship. But when we leave here, we don't just clock out until next Sunday. I hope we don't. And so the things that you are passionate about can still take place in your individual life each and every day as you serve Jesus as an extension of this church. Does that make sense? 
And so why I say that is, for example, let's suppose that God had planted K. Russo Baptist Church in Indian Hill, where the average person, you know, made a six-figure income and all of us had million-dollar homes. And that's where God planted our church. And then we got together and said, what we need here at K. Russo Indian Hill is a good homeless ministry. Would that make sense for where God planted us there? No, it doesn't. Are there wonderful churches that are doing that work that we could come alongside of and support? Or could we go out as individuals through the week and say, man, I'm going to volunteer at the food pantry down and over the Rhine because I'm passionate about that. Absolutely. It's not an either or. But we've got to understand where God has planted us and where He has put us and look and ask and pray for the opportunities that are around us so that we can be effective and so that we can maximize our efforts to see the kingdom of God increase and to see His church increase. Amen? And so... There's a popular saying, you've probably heard it, it's, I see it on Facebook all the time, bloom where you're planted. Bloom where you're planted, right? I did not, as God is my witness, I did not choose 1069 Millville Oxford Road. I did not. I had no idea, Brother Ben, Anita, you know, I had no idea because they, they were members at the time at East River Road and that was the door that opened up for K. Russo initially when we first started. From there, we had no idea. We went, and some of you know this story, many of you were with us during this journey, we went and looked at a building to possibly purchase, but we didn't want to go in debt, looked at this building in Hamilton, uh, and it just wasn't, it wasn't an ideal situation, didn't feel like that was right. We looked at a Presbyterian church on Stallhaver Road to possibly worship there, and it was too small. I mean, we were genuinely seeking where God wanted us, and lo and behold, I get a phone call from a pastor that I'd only met one time. He'd been sick. He asked me to fill in. I filled in for him for eight weeks while he was in the hospital. Thought that was the end of things. He called me up a couple of weeks later, said, have you ever thought about merging? I said, no, never has crossed my mind, but none of this has ever crossed my mind before, so it's all new. We prayed, we talked. Long story short, two churches became one, and here we are. I didn't pick 1069 Millville Oxford Road. God did. God put us here, and it wasn't an accident. If He wanted us to be an inner-city mission church, He would open up an opportunity for us over on the east side of Hamilton or wherever that's needed. Matter of fact... The old North Hamilton Church on Parrish Avenue has been vacant, or pretty much vacant, for the last three years. And I tried everything I could to get God to put us in there. If I'm going to be honest, it's not a great location as far as parking and stuff, but I thought, man, what an opportunity. This is where God wants us, is to, to reach the homeless and the, the drug addicted. Not, not that there's not any other churches already doing that, but that's kind of where I thought we would end up. And despite me pushing and kicking on that door it didn't open this one did this one did and so I, i'm not going to second guess god he's got us where he wants us but our our goal is now to find out what does god want us to do at 1069 millville oxford road and this surrounding community what are the opportunities how are we supposed to reach these folks who are we supposed to reach what does that look like proverbs 16:9 says the heart of man plans his way but the lord establishes his steps there's nothing wrong with having a plan but sometimes god's going to divert your plan as he has done with me many times and here we are and i've learned that his way is always better than my way his way will always be better than my way okay and so i want us to think about the fact that the disciples wanted things to happen right then they were like let's do this now and i know that sometimes in church things take longer than they should like 
Ross Perot said, if you see a snake, just kill it. Don't form a committee on snakes. And I understand that. And I understand in Baptist churches, sometimes you have to have 15 business meetings and four committees, and, and it takes months to move anything forward. I get that. And sometimes that can be frustrating. But I also want you to understand something. Caruso Baptist Church is a church plant. It's a church plant. 30 months ago, there was no, no church. Not even Caruso Baptist Church. And so maybe some of you have never been a part of a church plant. I have never been a church planter. Never thought I would be. But you've got to understand, when you plant something, has anybody ever built a house? Justin, I know you built a house not too long ago. Is there a little bit more time and waiting involved than just buying something that's already done? You move in, turnkey. Have you ever rebuilt a car? Andy, you know how this is. You're still working on Austin. You know how it is. Is it easier to just go down to the lot and say, here's my money, give me the keys, and off I go? Isn't that a lot easier than saying, oh, here's a rusted out frame and some sheet metal. I think for the next five years I'm going to sit out in a cold garage and weld and paint and cut and burn my fingers and cut my fingers. But when it's done and you look at it, is there more pride and joy in the thing that your blood, sweat, and tears went into or the one that you just jumped in and drove off the lot? Right? God is building something here. He's building something here. I know it takes time, and I know we're not where we would like to be. The disciples weren't where they thought they should be either. But if we walk in unity, and we trust God, and we keep our eyes on Him, I believe that when we look back, and we see what God has built, there will be so much pride and joy, not in ourselves, but to know that we stayed the course, and we trusted Jesus, and look what He's done through us. I truly believe that. I do. I wouldn't stand up here and say it if I didn't believe it. And so he tells the church, he tells these believers, you will receive power. You will receive power. That wasn't just for them. That was for them, but that was for every believer that would come along since them. Now let me ask you another question this morning. If Jesus said they would receive power, that his people would receive power, can we trust him with that? Yes, we can. If Jesus said it, we can absolutely, as the Son of God, the second member of the Trinity speaking, we can trust that He knew what He was saying. So why then does it appear to me that the church in America today is so powerless? Jesus said you will receive power. We look at most churches today and see no power. What is happening? Either Jesus was wrong or we are wrong. Either Jesus was a liar or somewhere along the way we have lost our effectiveness. I don't know about you, but I want my life to have the power of God on it. I want our church to have the power of God on it. I want people, when they walk through that door, if they're lost in their sin, to be convicted before they even sit down. I want the Holy Spirit to be so thick in this place that you feel His presence when you come in here. And I want that for our church, and I pray that you want that for the church and for yourself. I don't know, I think it's been attributed to Albert Einstein. I don't know if it was his quote or Benjamin Franklin or someone else, but he said the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. I think at some point the church, and I'm not just talking about Caruso, I'm talking about church in America for the last 50 years. We have got to stop and say this model that we have been following largely has been a failure. 
It's largely been a failure. The seeker-sensitive movement and all this stuff that had, I believe, good intentions at first, but it's turned into such a man-centered, watered-down, please-me-entertain-my-flesh kind of church that we have not seen real power. We have to work it up. Why? Listen. Please forgive me if, if you're visiting here, you're watching online, and I, I am not bashing or putting down other churches that worship differently, okay? But I do struggle sometimes that we have to do so much to create. You even hear pastors use this word. We want you to have a worship experience. We want to create a worship experience. Listen, I'm not saying it's wrong to dim the lights and to use different colored lights, and if you want to have smoke coming up, and you want to have the organ play every time the pastor does something, that's between you and the Lord and how you worship. But I'm telling you what, we shouldn't have to do those things just to get people excited. If you can't get excited because the Spirit of God lives inside of you, then all this other stuff to just work up that Spirit is not going to do you a bit of good. You can come in here and have an amazing experience. You can go to a concert and have two or three great hours, and then it's over. I want what happens in here to impact us eternally. Listen, when this hour is over, I want what we have felt and what we have heard to go with us and stay with us. I want the Word to be ingrained in our hearts and hidden in our hearts. I want us to be moved by the Spirit in such a way that this isn't just enough for us. That we don't say, well, Sunday was good, can't wait till next Sunday. That we go out every day and live for the Lord. And His power is upon us. We've got to ask ourselves, if the things that we're doing aren't working, why do we keep doing them? Is it just because it's a tradition? Is it just because it's become a routine? Is it just because it's comfortable? We all fall into that. Well, it's just easy. It's just easy. I can do it with my eyes closed. I know what's going to happen. I know how it's going to happen. Let's just do it. Let's just keep doing it. And before you know it, we just roll along day after day, step after step. But are we making a difference? Are we growing in the Lord? Are we seeing things change because of Him? In Matthew 21, 13, I believe this is one of the biggest hindrances to the church today not seeing the power of God in its life and us as individuals not seeing it. He said... To them, it is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer. A house of prayer. The least attended service in any church, I don't care if it's Princeton Pike, Hamilton Christian Center, K. Russo Baptist, or any other, the least attended service is the Wednesday evening prayer service. Always. Since I've been in ministry, that's been the case. Since you go back and read Charles Spurgeon, and he'll, he, he bemoans the same thing. So it didn't just start. But we've got to ask ourselves, if we believe that there is power in prayer, if Jesus said you will receive power, and prayer is a way that we can communicate with God, then why is it taken so lightly? Oftentimes, and I don't think we mean it this way, but we say, well, I've tried everything else, might as well pray about it. That should be the first thing we do. Prayer should be the first thing we do, not our last resort. It shouldn't be the last thing that we turn to if we believe that there is really power, if we believe that the God of the universe is listening to us. What an opportunity we have. It's not falling on deaf ears. I know sometimes you get down on your knees and you pray and you think, man, my prayer didn't, it just hit the ceiling and it didn't go anywhere. And maybe there is sin in your life that you need to confess. There are things that block our prayer life. We talked a little bit about that in Sunday school. There absolutely is. You need to forgive. You need to confess. You need to, to get things right with God and your neighbor. 
But that doesn't mean that you should not pray without ceasing. That you should pray daily, hourly if need be. Because that is a connection that we have with God as His people. We can approach the throne of grace boldly. And we can do that because of Jesus' sacrifice. Should we, never take, we should never take that lightly of what Christ has done for us. So then, if the church seems powerless, but God said you will receive power, that we cry out for revival, yet we rarely see revival in this country. It's happening all over the world. It's happening in China. It's happening on Iran. It's happening in North Korea. Why isn't it happening in America? Why is America becoming more secular? Why is America becoming more wicked while the rest of the world is experiencing growth in Christianity? Why is that? We've got to be honest. We've got to take a look and say what we're doing is not working. Entertaining people is not building the church. It's feeding the goats. It's not edifying the sheep. It's not. I'm not saying we should come in here and be as dull and as dry as possible because that makes us more holy. I'm saying if God leads you to hoot and holler and run, then brother, take off. And if that's not how you worship, then you're still welcome to worship here. I like a little amen and sometimes. I like a little hand clapping and shouting. That's just me. And I'm not afraid to say that. And I'm not afraid to do that. But I understand not everybody's like me. And that's a good thing. You can say amen there, right? So listen, why does revival tarry? Why are we not experiencing it? Where is the power of God? This is a verse that we throw up anytime you mention revival. This verse gets thrown out there. If my people, 2 Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. We might as well stop right there. The reason why revival tarries in America is because we read the whole verse, but we haven't done the very first two things. We are the most proud people that has ever walked the face of the earth. And I'm going to tell you something. If you won't humble yourself, God will. God will humble you. He will humble you. And it's not going to be comfortable. It doesn't mean that as His people, He doesn't love you. Whom the Lord loves, He disciplines. And one of the things that He has to discipline us with sometimes is to knock us down a few notches. We get way up here. We get up here and we start thinking that we're God. And we start thinking that the world revolves around us. And God's got to knock us down a few notches. When you're humble, when you realize that you are a beggar just seeking bread, prayer will become a lot more important to you. But when you are proud and arrogant and think that you don't need anything, why bother to pray? I don't need to ask because I don't need anything. I'm the center of my universe. I am the captain of my ship. And that's a scary place to be. There was a man that was the most powerful man on all the earth who ruled in the most powerful kingdom on all the earth. His name was Nebuchadnezzar. He was so powerful that like many of the kings of that day, he called himself God. He demanded worship of himself over his kingdom Babylon. And in Daniel 4.37 says this, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, what happens? He is able to humble. Those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Do you know why the most powerful man in the world, who ruled over the most powerful kingdom in the world, would later lift his eyes up in this verse to the God of heaven and say, those that walk in pride, he's able to humble? 
Because, buddy, he experienced it. For seven years, this man grazed out in the field like a cow. With his nails grown out and his hair wild, God caused him to go nuts. He went crazy. This ruler was cast down on his hands and knees. You tell me that God can't humble the most mighty man on earth? Yes, He can. And He'll do it when it's needed. He'll do it to you. I'm telling you this morning, pride is the most difficult sin for us to see in ourselves, or at least one of them, because it's in here. It's easy to see external stuff. When I cuss, when I steal, when I drink, when I do drugs, all that stuff can be seen. But when stuff's going on in here, pride, covetousness, envy, unforgiveness, we can tuck those away and hide them. Nobody sees this. Nobody knows how I really feel. But me and God. But God will get you to a place where you are on your face. He's either going to invite you to pray or He's going to chop your legs out from under you so you will fall down and pray. But it will happen. It will happen. And one of the things, and I'm not saying that it happens here, but I'm sure it has. I'm sure it probably will. It's happened at every church that I've ever been a part of and every pastor that I've ever talked to. We just said earlier, this is the Lord's church. That means that everything we do in here is the Lord's business. That means that when we vote every year for nominations and elect people into positions, they're just serving the Lord Jesus in that position. That doesn't mean that they own that section of the church. And you've got to understand something. I know we say this, we said this when we, this was our biggest fear when we merged with Millville. I probably heard this 5,000 times a week when we came in here to an established church and we were the new folks coming into their church. We want to help, but we don't want to step on anybody's toes. We don't want to step on anybody's toes. And there is a lot of people that are ready to serve and want to serve, but they're afraid that someone is going to get upset. Listen to me. If you have a position, and if somebody came to you and wanted to help or wants to do something in that position, and you get upset, during invitation, please come to the altar and ask God to soften your heart. Please. Ask Him why you feel like that position is yours and no one else is invited to serve in that area. I'm telling you what. I, listen, I have an ob obligation as a pastor. I can't just let anybody in the pulpit. But if, but if I am... If I am confident in that person, I know that they're saved, and I know that they preach biblical doctrine. Brother Jeff, you've preached in this pulpit. Brother George, I mean, Brother Ben, I would have invited you many times. If the Lord lays something on your heart, you know you're welcome to preach in this pulpit. I've had men come in from other churches and preach in this pulpit. I don't believe that this is my pulpit. God has placed me here as a pastor, and my responsibility is to shepherd this church. I am your pastor. I'm not passing that off on someone else. But I never sit here and say, only Chris Theobald can stand behind this pulpit because he's the only one worthy to do it. That's a dangerous attitude if you get to that place. Not just as a pastor, but anybody in the church. If you want to serve today and you say, well, I would love to do something with the youth, but they already got youth leaders. I can guarantee you that George and Melody Brown would be tickled to death if somebody came to them and said, we would like to do something with the youth. Would you be excited? Don't just say it because I'm putting you on the spot. Or would you say, right, get out of here, find another church because I already do that. More than happy. Ladies ministry, you can go to Sandra and say that. You can come up here on the praise team and say it to somebody. You can go back there in the media room. It doesn't matter. Just because we got somebody doing it doesn't mean we can't have some more somebodies doing it. Amen? We got to get past the fact that, that we might hurt somebody's feelings. 
we shouldn't have no egos in here. It's not about us. The only reason somebody's feelings going to get hurt if they've got a big ego and think, well, they like them better than me. They'd rather go to do this or do that than to come hear me. Listen, I know you can't make it to everything. I know you can't make it to every single thing, and I don't want to be so busy that I'm expecting you to be here seven days a week. But if, you know, if there's, if there's three men's studies going on and you come to so-and-so's and don't come to mine, I'm not going to go home and say, well, they don't like me. They went to that Bible. So I'm glad you went to one. You know, it's not about that. And we've got to get past that stuff. So listen, God's call and my duty. First and foremost, I want to try to articulate biblically what I believe the Lord gives His man as a pastor. And I believe this is one of my favorite verses from Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. I want you to see this. And he gave the apostles, so we started with the foundation. The apostles laid the foundation. Christ was the cornerstone. The apostles laid the foundation. The prophets, we see them in the Old Testament, even into the New. Uh, we see folks prophesying, that is speaking, proclaiming the Word of God. Evangelists take the message out into the world and preach the gospel. And then shepherds and teachers who are over these local churches after they're established. He gave those folks to the church. They're gifted in those areas. So why am I here? Why am I here? Why did God call me to be a pastor? I didn't put that on my sheet when my guidance counselor in school said, list your five things you'd like to most do. I promise you, pastor was not anywhere on either side of the page at all. It's a calling from God. There are too many men that stand in pulpits today and think this is just a job. It's not a job. It's work, but it's not a job. It's a calling. And if you don't have God's call on your life, you should sit down and let somebody get up here that does. That's a fact. There are too many men in pulpits today that aren't called of God. And that's a fact. That is a fact. But we're called for what purpose? Look at verse 12 of Ephesians 4. To equip. That word means to furnish a house. Have you ever looked for an apartment or a house and it says fully furnished? You have to buy a thing. You go in and it's ready. It's ready to move into. My job is to get you ready. My job is to make sure that you are equipped, that you are ready to live out your faith, not just in here, but outside of here, to equip the saints. You say, well, that ain't me. I'm anything but a saint. That's what God calls you. A lot of times, we need to stop looking at ourselves and our own estimation and view ourselves as God does. I, again, I'm not saying we look at that and say, boy, I'm something. I am, I am pretty wonderful to the kingdom of God. I am a gift to God's kingdom. That shouldn't be our attitude. But listen, when Jesus Christ shed His blood on the cross, when He went through the beating and the crown of thorns and the spitting on the face and the plucking out of the beard and all those things, He did that for you and me. He did that. That blood that He shed washed away your sin. And three days later when He came out of the grave, that was God's amen to Christ's finished work. He said, this is my son, and he has finished the work, and he raised him up to life. And that forever declares victory over the enemy, over death, over hell. And that is a gift that is given to us by grace through faith. We don't have to earn it. I praise him for it. We don't have to earn it. We don't deserve it. God gives that to us, and we receive that gift by simply believing. And when you become a believer... I asked you at the beginning, why didn't God take you home the moment He saved you? Because He's got work for you to do. I'm trying to equip you to find your calling, to find your purpose, 
and to have the tools to go out and fulfill that until He does call you home. To equip the saints, that's you. That means somebody that's set apart. You're set apart. God saved you. He pulled you out of the world. He pulled you out of hell. He placed you into the body of Christ, which is the church. He placed you into the kingdom of God, which is in us and will one day be realized in actuality. That is who we are. The saints. For the work of the ministry. And the building up of what? The body of Christ. What is the body of Christ? The church. The work of the ministry, which involves in here and out there, to build up the church, to edify and exhort the church. Now listen, that is clear that that is my duty. That should be on every pastoral job description, without question. But it doesn't end with pastors. It's not only the pastor's job to invest in other people. And one of the biggest downfalls for the church today is they believe, I, I think wrongly, because this is the model that's been set in a lot of churches, but it's the pastor's job to evangelize. It's the pastor's job to disciple. And it is. But it's not his alone. My job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. To do the work of the ministry. My work is to pray and to rightly divide the word of truth so that I can give it to you. You can read in Acts 6, they, they called the first deacons because they said, we don't have time to wait tables. We have to pray and preach the word of God. My duty is to pray and preach the word of God and equip you, help you get ready to do the work of the ministry, to build up the body of Christ. My question to you now, my third question to you is this. Take this to heart. Who in this room, or maybe even outside this room, who in this room or outside this room are you helping to grow in Christ? If there is not one person in your life that you are investing in, pouring into, discipling, then please, before you do anything else today, get on your face and say, God, give me someone. God, give me someone that I can pour into, that I can invest in. I hope and pray it's someone in this room. I do. Because there's many people in this room that need it. But it may not be. That's God's call, not mine. But ask for someone. Ephesians 4.16, a little couple of verses later after what we just read, listen to what he says here from the New Living Translation, and I use that just because it brings it out really clear. He makes the whole body, that's us, the church, the whole body fit together perfectly as each now listen to this the whole body fits together perfectly but it can only fit together perfectly if we do see this next part as each part does its own special work each part has got to do its work if we want to see the whole thing fit together and part of that work is it helps the other parts grow the result will be the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. I think every church should take an inventory from time to time and say, are we healthy? Are we growing? Not just numerically, spiritually. Are we healthy? Are we growing? And are we full of love? 
And if we're falling short in any or all of those, then we need to reevaluate. We need to take a look at things and say, what can we do to be better about those things? But I want you to say, and I'm not going to harp on this, I'm not trying to guilt you, but I am going to say it because it needs to be said from time to time. As each part does its own special work. That means that everyone in this room that's a believer, if you're a member of this church, you have a gift. And you have an ability. And for the last two years, and don't take me wrong, please don't leave here and take this wrong. I am thankful that we have technology to live stream. There are shut-ins right now watching this that absolutely can't be here at church that rely on that from week to week. And I'm glad to do it. There's times when all of you can't be here. Sickness happens. It's not a sin to go on vacation. It's, I get, sometimes you just wake up late. It happens. I'm not beating people up that if you're not in this room, every time the doors are open that you're on your way to hell. Please don't take me that way. But one thing I will say is this. The last two years have shown me something. That there's a lot of people that want to attend Bedside Baptist Church with reverend sheets. And they don't want to get out of bed and they don't want to come to church because they can stay on their couch and just watch it. If your church experience is sitting in front of a TV, John MacArthur said this last Sunday in his sermon, I'm going to steal it. He said, if all you do is watch services online, you're not going to church, you're watching television. And I, I, you, I'm quoting him. You can look that up. That's his words, and I wholeheartedly agree with him. We need you here. We want you here. The church cannot function as it ought to if you're a part of this body and you're not here. Matter of fact, when you join this church, we have a church covenant. And part of that church covenant is that we will fellowship together as often as possible and we will serve one another in love. You can't serve from the couch at home. You just can't do it. You've got to be here. And that's got to be something that starts in your heart. I'm not trying to guilt you to do that. Guilt is a poor motivator. I want you to do it because you love Christ and you love the brethren. And that's where I'm going to go on this next point and we'll wrap up. Jesus said, you will receive power. Church, we need to get our power back. We've got to get a passion for prayer. We've got to get a passion for the Word of God. We've got to get a passion to be back around God's people. Those are the things that are going to help us cultivate the spirit of power in us. And then he tells them that you are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea. That was the local area. You've heard this message probably preached many times in different ways, this part of it. But it goes back to what I said at the beginning. Bloom where you're planted. God put us at 1069 Millville, Oxford Road. That wasn't my choice. Maybe you say, well, I don't know that that's what I would have picked. But God put us here. And I'm glad He did. Because He knows where He wants us. If He didn't want us here, we wouldn't be here. But here we are. So God, what do you want us to do? Where do you want us to go? I look at our area. I think about our Jerusalem and our Judea. And I've been praying about this. God, what are places in this area that need to hear about Jesus that we can be a part of? And the things that keep coming back to my mind are these things. Marshall Elementary School, right up the road. We want to see kids and their families. What better place to go than a school system? I believe that K. Russo Baptist Church needs to have an identity and a footprint in that local school. And that's something that I feel like we need to pray for and cultivate that opportunity to get in there and serve those people and meet those people and invite those people so that we can build relationships. Because those kids that go to that school live in this neighborhood. They live in this neighborhood. Of course, you don't need me to say Island Lake. All of the needs up there in that little community is such a diverse... Barb, you, you can come up and testify. You could. You could tell me there's everything from, from poor to middle class. There's everything from drug addicts uh, to you know church members and everything in between. 
There are many needs at Island Lake, just 2.2 miles up the road from this church. I think about our neighbor, that we don't hardly even know the neighbors, yet they have a gigantic dance studio right next door to us with all kinds of families that come in all the time. We should be over there saying, hey, we just wanted you to know that we're here. We love you. If you, we can help you, anything we can do, we're here. I think about Sunny or Golden Years uh, Nursing Home around the corner. A lot of those folks will never leave that building. They'll die in that nursing home. Are they going to die in that nursing home without Jesus? They'll never hear about Jesus if somebody doesn't go and tell them. One of the saddest things about COVID is for the last two years, and I don't know, we, if, Amy, uh, you could probably testify to this, nursing homes was one of the first things and, and it's still lots of them haven't opened back up they shut down everything they used to have preaching come in bible studies singing now because of all these regulations they can't get anybody to go in there it's been years probably since some of those folks have heard the gospel preached and i don't know if they'll let us in there or not but i believe if god wants us there he'll open the door and i think it's worth reaching out because like i said those folks are dying a lot of them's dying without jesus and a lot of them's dying without their family they can't even get their family in there sometimes to see them. We can make a difference. They may never come in here, but we'll see them up there. And that's, it's not always just about getting them in here. Right? We want to get them in the kingdom. Then the Lord will lead them where they need to be to serve. I think about the outlying areas. Jesus said you'll go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. We, we are in such a perfect location. We got Oxford that way. We got Hamilton that way. We got Ross this way. We're right in the middle of so many communities. What an opportunity for us. And I know we always kid that Millville Avenue is the heavenly highway and there's 400 churches on Millville Avenue. But one thing, I mean, it's not far in a world that drives everywhere, but we're not nestled in amidst of the 15 other churches. We're kind of out a little bit. Not to say that there's no other churches close by, but we are a little bit separated to where we have an opportunity to reach folks. You'd be surprised a couple of miles makes a big difference for some people, especially when they can sit at home and watch it, right? If there's a church close, they'll come. And in the uttermost parts of the world, listen, I have been vocal, and I'll be more vocal if things don't change, about the Southern Baptist Convention and the bad direction and the liberal direction, the unbiblical directions that they're going. But I still believe that the Southern Baptist Church has the best model of missions of any church around. The cooperative program still does work. It does work. And when we partner together, when we support and send missionaries to do that work in faraway lands, we are being biblical. And so we may not be able to start a food pantry here. It may not make sense for us to do that. But we can support missions that do it. We may not start a pregnancy center here, but we can support places that do it. We may not go to China and South Korea and places of that nature, but we can support folks that do it, and we should, and we have been, and we will continue to. Those are the things that a biblical church should be doing. Those are the opportunities, if we're going to bloom where we're planted, that I see God giving us to do. We can focus our energy on a thousand things that go nowhere, or we can focus on the things that are the best opportunities and ask God to give us power to make a difference in those places. And here's the last thing, I promise, I know this has went a little long today, but I, I, I feel like I just need to say what God's put on my heart and not shortcut this message today or chop any of this out. Has any of you, and I think probably most of you will answer yes, have any of you in the last month eaten out anywhere? Just anywhere. Have you eaten out? What was the cook's name? 
You have no idea, do you? You went out and ate. You had a, hopefully it was a good meal, but you don't you don't know who made the food. Now let me ask another question. Recently, have you went out to eat with somebody that you're close with, family, friends, somebody that you care about? Can you tell me about that person? Just things about them, why they're important to you, what's going on in their life? Of course you can. What's the difference? Why don't you know anything about the cook? You don't even know his name, but you know something about those people that you're close with. It's because you've built relationships with one. The other one's just the person that was in the same room as you. He made the food. He did something for you, but you don't know anything about him. There's people in this room right now. People made the bulletins. People turned on the lights and the heat. People lock and unlock the door. People take out the garbage. They're doing those things for you to keep this church going. But you don't know anything about them. They're just like that cook in the restaurant. They did a service for you, and that's as far as it's went. But that's not how God describes his church to be. We should be like the second question I asked, the close-knit community. I'm not saying that you're going to be intimate friends with every single person in this church. But as many as you can, you should try to get to know. Because you can't, I said it last week and I'll say it again today, you can't serve people if you don't know anything about them. You can't meet their needs if you don't know what their needs are. And you'll never find those out if you don't speak to anybody. Again, I I know that some people, it's just a habit. You get here at 10.59 and you leave at 12.01 if the pastor doesn't talk too long. But hang out just once a month, just hang out for a few minutes and talk to somebody. Or come to something, come to Sunday school, come to Bible study, come to ladies study, do something that you don't normally do and meet some people. Because here's another thing that I, I felt like God laid on my heart this week about this message. The last two years have been tough. I mean, I ain't talked to a person that hasn't said that. I got a friend right now whose pastor next Sunday is resigning because he just can't do it anymore. He's just, he's just the, the last two years, and we've talked about it, my friend and I, he said, I just can't, I can't keep begging people. I can't keep doing this. I've, I've tried everything, and people don't want to serve. They don't care about God anymore. And I'm, I'm not saying that here at all. That's, that's his heart that he's sharing. But I do feel like this. I feel the majority of people in this room and in, in America are wounded. Not, just, not wounded because somebody hurts you. Just life has just wounded you. It's been tough. Like, we've, we've went through sicknesses. We've went through division. I mean, our economy and our world's got people stressed out right now. And sometimes... I want to be careful I say this. Sometimes we do need to pull in. I, I, you, I hope you know me well enough if you've sat under my ministry long enough to know that my heart is to move beyond the walls of the church. It's not healthy. A dying church is an inward-focused church. A church that only spends its time inside the walls will die, without question. But I believe that we are in a season right now where for the health of the body, it's wise for a season to pull in a little bit. Now, I just spent 20 minutes telling you about my vision about getting outside the wall. So please don't say, well, Pastor, don't want to evangelize. I want to get out there and see the lost get saved. But I can tell you this. I've never served in the military, but I look around the room and I see plenty of men that served and sacrificed for our country, and thank you for that. But I will say this, and I'm speaking maybe out of ignorance, but I'm pretty sure I'm right here. When you go through boot camp, there's... Lots of things they're trying to do. They're trying to break you and build you back up and all those things. But two primary things I think that they want to try to instill to you. 
how to fight and survive if it's necessary, and how to trust the man next to you with your life. Am I off there? You've got to be ready to battle. And when you go to battle, you've got to have a confidence that that person next to you cares about your life as much as you care about his or hers. And I feel like that the church, the church as a whole, not just us, but churches everywhere, have so many people right now that are hurting that you wouldn't gather up all your wounded people after a big battle and say, well, get back out there and fight. You've got to pull them in for a season and nurse or nurture them and nurse them back to health a little bit. And I feel like one of the things that we need to do as a church, because of the difficulties that everybody has faced the last two years and are still facing in this life, is to try and be much more intentional about helping one another, encouraging one another, loving one another. I think it's so important that we take care of each other in here too. We can get so focused on out there because there's so much out there to do. But there's so much in here to do. There is. And, and listen to me, please understand. People aren't projects. I'm not just saying that there's, let's just do a bunch of needs, meet a bunch of needs. I'm talking about let's, let's get to know each other so much that we genuinely love each other. I see that in this church in so many ways. I see the way that people reach out when folks are sick and make meals and, and take them places and do things like that. And, and, and I see that. So I'm not saying that that doesn't happen, but man, I think it can happen more and more. And I think that we need to be intentional about creating opportunities for that to happen. I think that we have, I think we need to get back to have more fellowship here at the church. More opportunities to just get together and just enjoy one another. Just get to know each other. You know, build those friendships. So that when life gets tough and you go into battle, you look around the room and it's not just, oh, that's, uh, what's their name? I, I don't know. They, they cooked dinner one time. It's somebody that you really know, like that close friend, right? There are needs, James 1.27, George, I know you know this verse, and Melody is near and dear to your heart. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. The widows and the orphans, those are people in the church. Those are people that need help right in here. We need to be able to do that. I'm going to close with Acts 20, verse 7. I am going to skip down a little bit from what I was going to say. It says in Acts 20, verse 7, On the first day of the week, we gathered with the local believers to share in the Lord's Supper. It says Paul was preaching to them, and since he was leaving the next day, he kept talking until midnight. Man, you talk about a long sermon. I'm not doing that. I still got 12 hours to get to midnight. Matthew 28, you know this one, 18 and 20, the Great Commission. Jesus came to them and He said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. He told them in Acts, you will receive power. He's got all authority, so He can make that statement and He can give it out. Go, go therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We have got to church, understand me, we have got to be balanced in our evangelism and our discipleship. I believe with all my heart that the season that we're in and the difficulties that people are facing, that we need to be intentional, as I said, to care for one another. That there are so many hurts and so many needs in this room that that has got to be a, fir- a focus. We can't send wounded soldiers out on the battlefield that can barely stand up. 
We've got to help them get strong again. We've got to help them be equipped again. Not just me. All of us working together. And that means that when there's opportunities, if you're able, come out. Be a part of those things. Get to know people. Be intentional in here. Invite somebody to lunch. Invite somebody over to your house. Do the things that need to happen so that we grow closer together. Don't just be in a room full of people that you don't know. May this be the... The Bible calls us brethren. That's closer than acquaintances. We've got to get to know each other, and I feel that's intentional. So I, I tried and prayed to have a mission statement. I felt like, I said, God, give me a mission statement to articulate to the church about what our mission here at K. Russo is in this season that we're in. K. Russo Baptist Church, I don't know if you can read that. K. Russo Baptist Church exists to glorify God. In everything that we do, our aim is to glorify God. Whether it's through our worship, through worshiping Him, edifying His people, that's the things we do in here for one another, and evangelizing the world. If we, if we please God, if we disciple people, and we go out into the world and preach the gospel, I believe that's a biblical church. And I believe that God's placed us in this area to do those things the way that He told the early church to do it. We start in Jerusalem, we spread out to Judea and Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the world. That's the plan. It's not hard. But so many churches have tried to do it their way, in a different way, and trying to please every member, and everybody's got an idea. I will always listen to your ideas bring them i love to hear them but just because you have an idea doesn't mean that we can do it doesn't mean that it always makes sense doesn't mean that i have time to necessarily do anything else right and so i mean if god's got something on your heart to do maybe you can do that maybe it's not here maybe it's just the ministry that god wants you to do outside of sundays i don't know i'm not trying to quench your spirit on those things but we just can't possibly do everything here at one church right but we need people here and i believe if we get closer together we will see God use us even greater than He already has. I want to say this and then I'm closing. I invite the praise team to come. This is the Lord's church. And through some of the most difficult years, the last couple of years, we have seen this church grow. That's rare. That's amazing, quite honestly. It's quite honest. Amazing thing. And I thank God for that. But I believe that if we follow this pattern and we do the things that I've tried to articulate to you today, I believe that God is going to do greater things than that in this church and greater things through each of you. But it's an individual decision. I can stand up here and be a cheerleader and hold a pep rally every Sunday, but I can't make you buy into this vision. I can't make you serve God. I can't make you be faithful. But I can promise you this based on the Word of God. If you're faithful with what God gives you, He'll give you more. But if you're unfaithful with what you have, don't expect anything else. Sometimes, listen, when I, when I got called into ministry, I was ready on the next day. Brother Ben, I was ready to be pastor the next day. God called me, to, God called me into the ministry. The next day, I was ready to pastor a church. It didn't work that way. It, it, took, it took nine years to finally become a pastor. And in between then, I cut grass, I cleaned toilets, I swept buildings, I still do those things. And I'm not saying that to pat myself on the back. It's part of being a servant. We can't be so high up here that we can't serve. That's the greatest title we have, church. If you're a servant, you'll serve. Are you serving? Are you mentoring people? 
Are you reaching the lost? Are you looking for a place to do that? Maybe you're not a member here, but today you've heard something that says this is where I want to be. As we give this invitation, the altar will be open. I'll pray with you, but you have to take the step and make the decision. Where does God want you? Father, we come to you today just thankful that you establish churches, that you build churches, and I'm thankful for this church. And every person that's here, every person watching online, I'm thankful. But Lord, I just pray that folks today would hear my heart as I've tried to give it from your heart and that we would say, Lord, use us, send us, help me. Take these things seriously and do everything I can to make K. Russo Baptist Church and my own Christian life as strong as it can be. And I will do everything in my power through the leading of the Spirit to do that. If you'll make that your prayer today, I believe God can use you, and He will. Lord, help us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we stand, as we sing, if you need